I'll tell a quick story real, real quick that helped me a lot. My dad never really told me anything about driving race cars ever. We never had conversations about how to drive a track, what I should do in this situation. We never did. And um, for whatever reason, we was here one year, and I think it was my first cup season, and I was slow, struggling, in over my head. <clears throat> he got on the, t the top of the trailer with a helmet or with a radio and was like, I'm going to tell you where to lift. And he told me to lift, and it, I was sitting at the flag stand, and I was like, damn, that sound, that's no, no way I want to lift here. I can drive the car another three or four car lengths to the corner. And he said, now, and when the car dropped off in the corner and landed, he said, I want you to get on the gas here. And I said, damn, okay, now I know why you want me to lift so early. Uh, so that's the way I drive this track. I'm, I'm out of gas really early, and I'm back in the throttle when the car is is sort of landing in the about the 30% mark of the corner. I'm back in the gas probably 20% really, really early and just wrapping the bottom, sitting there about 30% throttle for about the majority of the corner. And on an old tire, man, I mean, and they put the grip down there and paint the line and all that. I mean, it all adds up, makes it work really good. Every time I've tried to charge a corner here, I think about my dad's uh, lesson and I think he's probably pretty pissed off at me for charging the corner here and I should be lifting earlier and driving it like he thinks but that was the only driving lesson he ever gave me you know, Bob Hockris Fox Sports um, you've had bad experience with fire so I'm curious like was there extra panic or anything <laughs> yeah. and when you when so it started smoking and I thought well uh, I started smelling something first and I thought man maybe that's a car in front of me hopefully it's a car in front of me and then I started seeing a lot of smoke around the dash and above the dash and um, I thought we just had some rubber build up on the pipes I was telling the team about it so maybe they could see through the wheels that they might see a fire in there and that would keep us pretty calm that would just have we just you know that would go out or whatever right and uh, and then it was getting a little a little worse the smoke was getting worse and i had them boys racing for the lead right in front of me and i looked down at the leg brace and it was on fire and i felt it stinging my leg and so um i thought well i can't keep going so i i, I if i kept going i think it had burnt me um really bad i don't know if it went out but i wasn't wanting to take that risk and normally and i think um you know any driver that's what you know all y'all probably seen anytime you slow down your car's got any kind of fire and you slow down the fire gets bigger and so that's that was on my mind i was i was going down, <laughs> i was going down pit road with the winning that down and i was looking over at the pit stalls to see which crew was paying attention that was where i was going to stop and uh when i pulled up to the, i think it was the gibbs guys i was like waving at them and they figured they figured it out and uh helped me out get, get me out of there because I was thinking when I stopped, it was going to get bigger. I didn't know what was on fire and why in the hell would there be a fire at the leg brace? I felt I thought the transmission was going to explode because I could feel the tunnel getting hot, but it was literally on fire inside the car. We had a, we had a positive wire short above, up in the top of the dash, and the, the the casing on the wire melted down onto the leg brace and caught the foam in the leg brace, and the and the and the 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 cloth cover of the leg brace caught the whole leg brace on fire. And so it burnt a leg off my uniform. And I was, uh, it was like another lap and it, I was probably going to get blistered up. So no, no, burns on your leg. no burns on my leg, just barely escaped. But I was disappointed to have to get out. We was going to run fourth or better. All right, Zach, go ahead. Zach Sterniolo, NASCAR.com. Dale, um, you, you said it right there. You were, 
probably going to run fourth or better. Um, and you said earlier that the expectation or hope was that you'd stay within that fifth to twelfth range and outperforming that. How how much did that mean to you? I mean, you led forty seven laps tonight. Um, just being that competitive when you do this as rarely as you do, how much does does that mean to you? Despite the the finish tonight. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you aim low, you'll never be disappointed. So. I um, I don't set high expectations, uh, especially at this point in my life. But except for you know certain things. Um, but when it comes to racing, I try not to really get too competitive because when I really when I get competitive, I get miserable. Even when I'm running well, and um, these races for me are about just coming back and smelling the smells and hearing the sounds and um, getting reminded what's going on inside the car and what a driver thinks about. I feel like that the further I get removed from my driving career, the harder it is to be a broadcaster and an analyst. And so running these races is all about learning and relearning, really, and re, re, reminding yourself of what a driver thinks and goes through at certain situations and, and just so, you're, so that stuff's fresh on your mind. And, um, you know, obviously uh, having the girls here and Isla and them, Isla's got, you know, kind of old enough to understand what's going on and, that daddy races. I don't know if that really is going to matter down the road to her, but, um, you know, I, I, we, we really ran way better than I thought we would. Um, I had a blast. I'm a lot more confident, I guess, going to Homestead on how we might do last time I ran there in 2020, we, we run second a lot, um, throughout the day, but, uh, so that, that I'm hoping that goes just as well, but I don't really, I've come here and got my butt kicked the last couple of times for real. Uh, Martinsville was real, not great. We ended up 11th and I think we run Richmond and run 15th all day, hard as we could go. So I was thinking maybe I was just getting too old for it, but this series is tough. It's just really competitive. Most competitive it's ever been this year. You know, um, there's at least four or five more competitive cars than we've ever had. So, um, but I was happy with the car. We did a lot of preparation. Um, um, Host of ours helped a lot as far as getting that fifth car, you know, some race laps and getting those guys sort of ready to go to the racetrack. They came really confident and under thinking that they knew what they needed to do for the car. So I was put in a really good position um, to be, you know, to the car was good enough to kind of carry me through qualifying and everything. And then in the race, I got caught up myself. All right, Dustin. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Um, how nervous are you before these events, and and how do you decide? I know you talk about the broadcasting aspect, but is there a point where because you don't want to, I don't want to say embarrass yourself, but you you don't want to perform like you expect. So. How much longer can you go in that sense? As well? I don't know, man. I mean, I think Kelly told me that next year is my last year. So um, I think, yeah, I don't know. She just said, I figured we were sitting there talking and she said, I figure you'll run these two and then one next year and that's it. I was like, all right. So, um, you know, I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I like it. I like it. And I'll t to answer your first question, man, I ain't never been as nervous as I was today. I've raced my whole career, locked into every race I've ever went to, and I've never really had to deal or, or, or sweat it out or worry about, you know, something happening and missing the show. And that's not fun, and it's the worst, it's the worst feeling ever. And we got here, and we've been here all morning, sitting around in a truck, 
And uh, I'm like, damn, I want to practice. I want to be out there running some laps and figuring this thing out. I need some laps. This 20 minutes ain't going to be enough. So sitting there just gut-wrenching and worried about making a mistake. And I did not feel like I, I got enough laps in practice to understand nothing. I felt like everything was way ahead of me and I was way behind on my on what I was seeing and processing mentally. Um, but that was the way it was when I came here when I was a full-timer. I mean, this place just takes time to get up to speed. Your brain ain't, ain't processing everything that's coming at it visually, but it eventually slows down. Um, <clears throat> but so I was as out... I feel like I was probably as nervous as I've ever been, probably more nervous than my very first qualifying attempt at Charlotte as a rookie. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back, and there's nothing more gut-wrenching than ha wondering if you might go home missing a race, right? I ain't never failed to qualify for a race, and being presented with that reality was frightening. Um, but So once I ran the lap, the 91, all that melted away. I was no longer nervous about the race. I watched this race that they ran here last year three times this week. And I'm like, man, it's got a rhythm to it, and it does. You know, we ran green flag the whole first stage. Just don't get worked up. Don't overdo it. There's not going to be a ton of wrecking and crashing. They guys just get in a rhythm, and they run hard and they run long. And I, I thought if I could just find a place to race, I would be able to run this whole thing with no problems and run all the laps and get a top 15 finish. And that's what I expected. <clears throat> but, I mean, you're, I'll run as long as I can. I like running one here and one there. But, I mean, certainly not till I'm 60 years old. But I think I am still feel young. I, f I overachieved tonight in my eyes in terms of, you know, how I ran. So, I guess I'll – I guess that gave me some confidence to, to try to do one here and one there for a couple more years. How does the – how does the driver how do you how do you be the driver and the owner tonight and see the one, eight, and nine get wrecked and what's I didn't know what happened to anybody all night. We came around the three and four and I saw the one the nine car with the quarter panel knocked off of it and I was like, How in the hell does that you know, I don't know what's going on. Them guys my my guys that are talking to me, they're telling me the very bare minimum information that I need. So like uh it's usually with T J on the box, he's giving me a play by play of everything, right? Uh, he loves to talk, but um, tonight it was bare minimum. I didn't know what was going on with anyone else's race. I didn't know how many cars were on the lead lap. I didn't know. I just knew who I was racing by looking out, looking over the over the hood and in the mirror. Otherwise, I didn't know much about what else was happening to anybody else. So I know the seven one, uh, Hemrick's here, so he must have ran good. I had a blast, buddy. I had a good time racing you. Um, and so other than that, I ain't got a clue where anyone ran or finished and how everything is for the championship going forward. I just know one thing. I didn't cause any problems tonight for nobody. <laughs> I was a big deal for me. I didn't want to come in here and screw up somebody's <laughs> championship. Everybody be like, that damn junior don't need to be out there. But uh, so I got – I mean, I shouldn't be racing in the playoffs. That's a dumb idea. But anyways, I got – Homestead, there's a lot of room. I'll stay away from you guys. Thank yep, thank you. All right, we're going to have to take a couple more questions and then wrap up for time. Um, we'll go Jeff, Jordan, and in with Matt Weaver. Go ahead, Jeff. Kind of along the lines of Dustin's first question. I mean, for years you've kind of wondered aloud about what makes a driver retire, yeah. what want to give it up. But, like, I feel like there's less clarity after seeing you do something like this. I know like You're almost 49. But, like, now 
what do you make of it? Because like we I know. don't really have any answers. Yeah, Bobby ran till Bobby and Harry Gant and them guys. They were good in their fifties, you know. Um, but it's like a, I mean, it's it's the car. Like I'm driving a great race car. That's going to help me a lot. Look really good. But it's it's like that. I'm a really bad golfer. But if I go out there, I'll bet you the first nine I'm ready to quit, never play again, and then I'll hit the pin on my second shot on a far four, and that's all it takes to keep you coming back is that one good drive or that one nice shot. And so <clears throat> the last couple of races had me really wondering, damn, do I need to not do this anymore? I'm really not getting nothing out of it running 15th and struggling and being frustrated. Then you go run good, and you're like, well, okay. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it's where I'm racing. Maybe I just need to run at certain tracks that I love and really enjoy, or I don't know. I, mean, where the, I w certainly do look where in junior motorsports is quick. But, man, it's hard to turn down Homestead. It's so fun running the wall there. I'd run the wall in 15th and have a blast, you know, 20th. I don't, it's a fun racetrack and <clears throat> a lot of off-throttle. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, when our, if our cars were struggling, man, if we were struggling to run 7th at, at our best, I don't know if I'd be that entertain, enter, you know, entertained to run it. But we got a good team, good group. So while it, you know, while it makes sense, we'll just – See what's going on. See who wants to do it. Jordan Bianchi, The Athletic. Two quick questions. Will Bristol be on the schedule next year for you? Man, I don't know. I think it was fun. Funner. It was, yeah. I don't know. What's it like being the old guy in the field? I know. It's weird. I didn't know that. So, tell me, is it true There, I was the only 40-year-old out there? Because, so I'm 49 in October. I think I'm the oldest for sure. And I text the booth. Uh, Burton and them, and they're like, yeah, you're the only – our stat guys are telling us you're the only one in his 40s. I don't know if that's exactly true, but um, how old's B.J. McLeod? He was out there. Damn. So uh, <laughs> I'm the oldest and the only – I'm like oldest by a decade. <laughs> what is that? What is that? They don't, I, don't, I don't feel that old. I don't, but, you know, I don't. I think I'm fresh as ever, um, but – I uh, that was a surprising to learn that, but uh, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess, yeah. I mean, like I say, some of them guys ran long and were decent. Yeah. All right, we'll take our final question from Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Matt Weaver, SportsNot.com. Um, you you addressed most what I wanted to answer with um, with Dustin's question, but I want to frame it this way. You've run so much late model stuff the last two years, and it's been such a challenge to get reacclimated to those cars. Was there a part of you going back to this Xfinity start tonight where it's like, man, I've gotten my butt kicked so many times doing the late model stuff. Is it me or is it the cars? Right. And is there some validation in coming here and saying, okay, it's not me. I can still do this. I just need to learn the late models. Yes, all that. Um, it, it's the, for some reason, man, the late model stock car, takes a style of input and the the way you drive the car is just so unique and i still don't know exactly what that is every once in a while i'll run a lap and be like i don't know how i did that but like we qualified really good at florence of the week and i don't know where that came from because i've never qualified inside the top 20 there and the two other two runs i made <clears throat> what would maybe make me not run as much xfinity races is certainly running more late model stock races in the cars tour especially on the front half of the year when i'm not working with nbc <clears throat> I want to. I'd love to run my late model car more, but that means getting my butt kicked more. Um, 
And I think, honestly, I really feel better in the Xfinity car. I feel like I know what I'm doing, what the car, I know what to expect out of the tire, the car, the sidewall, the tire, all of the things make more sense to me when I go out on the track and steer the car through the corner in the lay model stock car. I'm still not 100% sure what I need to feel, what I should be feeling, what I don't want to feel, what I need to fix. And um, I'll have to run that car a lot more to get better at it. But, I mean, I, I think I could run that car for, a long time right into my late 50s if i wanted to and not not care about how competitive i was whereas we this is the second top this is the tops uh two series in this in the in the country in stock car racing you know you can't you only want to come race here if you can think you can do it do it and do it well and i certainly won't won't do it if i don't feel like i am good enough to be out there so um, it won't make any sense to be out there if I'm not hitting on all cylinders mentally and things aren't making sense. You know, that's when it definitely needs to need to stop doing it. But right, and so far, clicked along tonight. So I think Homestead, I, I was always great uh, as far as adapting to Homestead and understanding what I thought I needed to do. And so it's definitely intentional where I race. <clears throat> Some of these tracks I, I probably wouldn't want to race at and wouldn't feel comfortable or think I could be that competitive, but Homestead's one of the tracks I really enjoy. Dale, before we let you go, I know tonight a lot of the drivers had um, your school driving gloves oh, yeah. for raising That's right. money for your foundation. Yeah. I think there was maybe 60 gloves between yeah. tonight and tomorrow night. Um, if you don't mind, just to give us uh, kind of your you. thoughts on kind of the industry, you know, getting behind Thanks that. Thanks for giving me a chance to speak about that. Um, so we have 60-plus drivers wearing the gloves this weekend. It is a lot of work to get 60 pairs of gloves to drivers, and drivers do not always love brand-new gloves, and they got to fit a certain way, and some gloves are, you know, you'll, I'll get a, I, my pair was tight tonight, didn't like it, but um, so I appreciate the drivers sort of managing that <clears throat> um, lack of comfort if, if that's what's going on with some of them, but I know we're all particular about our, our stuff. <clears throat> but... Uh, Pristine Auctions is managing all the auctions for those gloves. I'll sign them. The drivers will sign them. We'll get them back, you know, back home after the race. And uh, they're all race used, race worn from tonight and tomorrow night. And um, it's fun to do. The Skull gloves are fun. Uh, I think people think they're fun. Um, they're goofy looking. Uh, and uh, I, th I hope the drivers enjoy running them for a weekend uh it's we raise a, a bunch of money for the foundation uh <clears throat> so that's just a it's really a lot of fun to do something like this and all the other drivers want to be a part of it and that happens across the board with everybody's foundation and everybody's initiatives all the drivers we you know <clears throat> Whether, you know, no matter who it is, we're at their events, everybody goes and, and, and supports. We might get in arguments or dislike how we get raced on the racetrack sometimes by each other. But when it comes down to the charitable initiatives and the missions that a lot of our drivers have, uh, you'll see all the drivers want to jump on board and support. And I think that's fantastic. And this is a great example of that. Yeah, I'm real happy for Justin. It's uh, winning at Bristol is such an amazing uh, accomplishment for any driver. This kind of ranks right up there with Darlington in terms of a driver's racetrack. You got to be tough and move around and defend and be on the offense and got to be head on a swivel out there. And all the good drivers seem to do well and and figure this place out. It's not a place where you kind of get any flukes, but um, 
So I'm, I'm proud for him, proud for Brant. Rick's worked hard to help us get this program going, and he's uh, he's more than just a, a, a partner. Uh, a lot of times it feels like Rick's part of the ownership of the seven car. And so uh, to see his whole group up there and happy and at a place like Bristol that, where it means so much is a great thing to see. And right as the uh, checkered flag flew tonight, you guys did announce that Justin will return to JRM yeah. next year with Brant, so that relationship will continue. Um, we'll now go to questions for Dale. If you have one, please raise your hand. We'll work to get a mic to you. We'll start with Davey. Davey Siegel with Sirius XM to your left, Dale. Uh, was the ride up to Victory Lane your idea, Justin's idea? Where did that start? That's old school, man. He, uh, I saw his... Uh, I was like, I'm gonna ride up this ramp. I almost, you know, if I ain't driving up my own car, I'm gonna ride up the ramp in my uh, in my in the car that I own. If I wasn't gonna win the race, um, I remember in the late '70s and early '80s, they would, you know, the crew would climb on the car and ride to Victory Lane. Of course, I think the last team to do it was Kurt Busch and his group. Um, I think they all got fined about a thousand a dry, uh, a person for whoever was on that thing. But NASCAR don't really approve of it. It's very dangerous for the entire crew to get on a car. But boy, it's cool to see. I remember pictures and, and a bunch of books from the from the old days about that. But uh, everybody's just so happy, you know. Everybody that's had so much effort and work on the car, riding on the car after the race to the to the victory lane is symbolic for some reason for me. But um, I was just so disappointed that we didn't get to finish where we wanted to. And I, I but at the same time, happy about our car winning. And I just uh, thought that I couldn't wait to see Justin. Couldn't wait to, you know, tell him how proud and happy I was. And uh, Rick always pops in the windows, and, and Rick Hendrick does from time to time. So uh, I maybe was following his lead there a little bit, but it's pretty cool. Um, I, I've, uh, I enjoy being an owner in the series. It's a great series to be, be an owner in. So. <clears throat> Uh, during the race on the radio, you, you actually were kind of surprised how well you guys are running and that you're actually leading going yeah. into the race. I mean, what were realistic expectations for you? I'm pretty low-key on my expectations, especially, I mean, I haven't raced here in six or seven years and haven't raced a Bush car here and I don't know how long or an Xfinity car here in quite a while. So, man, I mean, 20 minutes of practice, just a handful of laps, and then go out there and qualify first car out. Uh, I was way behind and didn't really – know what what I was doing or what I needed to be doing and all the sim work in the world won't prepare you for what you're going to face when you pull out on the racetrack here the guys that race every week are seasoned ready mentally understanding what's happening what the car's capable of doing they're much better prepared I just felt so far behind so I think my expectations were really low I thought you know, looking at my record over the last seven, seven or eight year races that I've ran, I'm kind of like a fifth to fifth to twelfth place guy. So I was thinking that would be good to keep that going. Um, I also think that I was the oldest driver in the field, maybe the only in his 40s, and so I was. That wasn't making me feel more confident, but uh, 